Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Message is entitled, The Hope of the World, and I pray that this message inspires and encourages hope in your life. But 2020 has not been a hope-inspiring year, naturally speaking. It's been a difficult year, one way or another. Sometimes people will say to me, it hasn't been that hard for me, and I get that. It hasn't been maybe hard for everybody, but it's been hard for all of us in one way or another. I, I don't know about you, the summer was a lot harder for me. I sort of turned a corner in September. I kind of got over my bad self and was able to accept certain things that I was struggling against. And I've been kind of sailing since then for the most part. Uh, it doesn't mean everything on the outside has changed, but something on the inside has shifted. And that's what Jesus will do, and that's what he continues to do. But it's amazing to me how we look at the year that we've just faced, and inside one year, seemingly we have faced an entire lifetime of adversity and difficulty. Every now and again, I'm talking with somebody that's much older than me, twice as old as me or, or more, and they'll say things like, I have never gone through anything like this before. In terms of all of the spattered effects that has happened, that have happened inside of one year, and I think that's not very encouraging. <laughs> or maybe it is, maybe it's supposed to be, I'm not sure, but it, is, it does put us all together in this. And we've had a virus that's traveled all the way across the world, all the way to Federal Way, and here we are still dealing with it going into the new year. The varied opinions that have come about the virus or about the restrictions or the closures of schools and restaurants and businesses, social gatherings, churches, and, and every other type of thing. We've, we've faced this. We've grappled with the different views. In this room, there are a lot of different views. If there's one thing we have learned, it's that we all don't agree on everything. Go ahead and say amen because it's true, not because you want it to be. All right, We're, sometimes you gotta say amen to affirm the truth, not because you want it to continue. <laughs> well, we've watched the conversation on racial reconciliation and race relationships just simply spin out of control to the point where many don't even know what to say anymore. It's what you say, it's what you don't say that gets you into trouble when maybe we just wanna have a good heart and do what's right, and we certainly care about everyone I've seen this debate and the controversy over what has got to be the most controversial presidential election in all of our lifetimes. I don't think I anticipated it being the way that it's been, and yet it still continues even now. And I run the risk of saying anything that would offend anybody in the room just simply by talking about it. <laughs> the reality is, is in the midst of all of this, my question is, how is your soul doing? And sometimes we quickly answer that question. We say, well, I'm doing fine. I'm fine. I'm great. Fine. It's my answer, fine. Why are you asking? Why are you asking? Are you okay? Because I'm fine. What about you? What about your soul, Pastor Ben? How's it going on in this region? How are you doing? Thank you for asking. I'm doing fine. I need grace every day. The statement that we often use in church is we say you... You don't always have the grace that God gives until you need it, but when you need it, God gives the grace that you need. 
And I would say we've learned to reach into God for grace. But this has been a year that's revealed a lot of hopelessness. I was reading an article, a couple articles actually, that talked about the increase in mental health problems. And no, that's not just a conservative way of trying to get our way. The reality is, is that most statistics, regardless of what source that you're reading, would tell you that even in young people, that the mental health struggles have spiked well over double. Some tell us four times suicide rates go up to three, 400% on some months. And some of this I've learned even from our chaplains. I personally know somebody that committed suicide during this season. I'm not trying to down you. I'm gonna lift you in a minute, but this is the year that we have faced. This is the difficulties that we have faced. And as a result of dealing with all of these things, we don't often know what to do if we've never been here before. So we tend to cope instead of hope. And as a result of that, we'll medicate ourselves. We'll, we'll go to the bottle and maybe we weren't an alcoholic, but we started to feel a little better and that turned into something and that turned into a lot more. And then we find our hope in medicating our pain rather than in the Lord Jesus Christ, rather than in someone who's greater than it all, who's above it all. We find our hope in drug abuse or alcohol abuse or online immorality, which has increased significantly. There's a sense of worthlessness when we don't get to do the things that we once did. This is not my narrative. This is the story that I continue to hear. This is not something I read about. This is what I listen to. I hear this from many people. And in the midst of that, I can tell you that there is hope. I can definitively say on Christmas Eve, I can look you in the eyes with total truth nothing holding back, that there actually really truly is hope, but it's not hope that we will find in the ways of this world and the things in this world. And we know that today. In fact, we should know it every day. We find hope in a person and not just a thing. But we have faced hopelessness. Christians are not exempt from this. Just because we know the Christ does not mean that we haven't had to face our own issues and navigate our own problems How do we go through this? What is the right response to this? What am I supposed to say in the middle of this? I've faced that and so have you. And sometimes it's quite daunting or depressing. What do we mean when we talk about hope? Sometimes it's a word that gets thrown around. So I think it's really important that we look. Here's the dictionary definition. It says hope is looking forward to something with desire and reasonable confidence. That's not necessarily wrong, but We say things like, I hope things get better, and I hope 2021 is not like 2020. You do hope that, don't you? We throw these quips around, but Christian hope, according to Scripture, differs from our cultural understanding and often the quips that we simply throw around because we want to feel better and we want to hope that things do change. There's nothing wrong with hoping for an outcome, But there is something profoundly disappointing when we hope in an outcome. If our hope is not in the Lord, if it's in an outcome, we will be disappointed. And so we find this to be the case. But biblical hope is to have trustful expectation in the person and the promises of God. The Christmas story is so powerful because the birth of Christ is the manifestation of God's promise which satisfies the deep longing for which we are hoping for. The coming, the arrival of Jesus is what people of God were longing for. And when they saw his coming, that hope that they had that was placed on him, it was satisfied. 
And I would say it to you today that the hope that we have in the Lord will be satisfied at his coming. And be sure of this, he is going to come. Christmas is not about the presents, although some of us like presents. Christmas is not about the eggnog, although I like eggnog in my coffee. Come on now. And Christmas is not about the sugar cookies, even though you all know that if you've tried to go buy that powdered sugar at the store, it ain't there. It's not there. Don't even try on your way home to go look for it. We already know it's not there. It's not about the Christmas tree or the nostalgic feelings or the traditions, although that is not all wrong in and of itself. Christmas is about Jesus. It's about hope that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. If this year has done anything, I pray that it has shown us that if we have hope in anything or anyone else, we need to put our hope back on him. I pray to God that that's what we see. With that said, I want to read to you a part of the Christmas story that maybe we don't always read very often. It's the part of the Christmas story in the book of Luke chapter 2 where we read about a man named Simeon, and I think it will help us. But let me summarize for you what happens in Luke chapter 1 and 2 before we even get to verse 21 in Luke 2. We read about in Luke chapter 1 the birth the birth of John the Baptist being foretold. John the Baptist is the cousin, natural cousin of the Lord Jesus. And so his birth is foretold that he will be the forerunner of Christ. We also read about the birth of Jesus Christ himself, where the angel Gabriel shows up to Mary and says, you're, you're going to be with child of the Holy Spirit. She's a virgin, and this child will be the son of God. This child is the long-awaited Messiah. If you were here last week, I told you that song, Mary, did you know? Yes, Mary did know. The angel Gabriel told her so. It's a nice song, it sounds wonderful, but it's always been strange to me. I think if we asked Mary, she would say, yes, I saw an angel. And I was a virgin, and I'm with child. I knew. I knew something was up. In chapter two, we read about the birth of John the Baptist, and his father breaks his silence, and he names him John, which was unusual because he had nobody as a relative that was named John. And he is, of course, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. We read about the birth of Jesus. Caesar Augustus called a census, which led Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, which is also a prophecy of the Old Testament. And they did not have email, and they could not compare notes. And this did not happen because somebody was following a script. This happened because prophecy was given and prophecy was fulfilled. Many other prophecies in the birth of Jesus we read that when Jesus was born, there are various visitors. We read about the angels who sing, the shepherds who marvel, the magi who bring gifts, and Jesus' parents are pondering all this in their heart. And then there's this moment in Luke chapter 2, it's the greatest baby dedication that we're ever going to read of, and this is what it says in verse 21. It says, and when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. 
And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was a righteous and devout man, and he was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was longing for the Messiah to come. That's another way you could say the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel in the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms, and he blessed him, and he said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel." And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end of that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Right there, he's talking about the anguish that Mary would go through, even as she would stand there at the foot of the cross while she saw Jesus, her natural son, being crucified. In this story, we read a lot, of, a lot of different things. Let me summarize a few that happen, just uh, practically speaking. The first, we read about circumcision. This was according to Genesis chapter 17. Um, Jewish children were circumcised on the eighth day. This is what they did. We also read about the purification of Mary. According to Leviticus 12, a woman was unclean 33 days after her son was circumcised. And so we read 40 days after they bring Jesus to the temple. Something that tells us is that Mary and Joseph, they followed the law. They were the type of people that wanted to honor God. They honored God with their life. And so they, they, we see that by looking at what they did. And now we read about the dedication of Jesus, which has to happen according to Leviticus chapter 12, where you bring a sacrifice after the time of purification. Now you'll, you'll remember it said two turtle doves or two pigeons. The only reason they brought pigeons was because they were poor. There was another sacrifice that you were to bring, but there was a concession that if you couldn't afford to bring another type of sacrifice, you would bring two pigeons. And so they didn't have money And that's what this definitely shows us. No doubt this is the best or the most epic baby dedication ever. And while we do lots of baby dedications here and we love them and they're great, I'm sure this definitely is the most epic in all of history. I'm interested in this man named Simeon. He clearly embodied what we're talking about today. We're talking about hope. And he had his hope properly anchored in the Messiah. And I think we can learn from him. And so I pray that you would be encouraged by these three points. Let me share with you three things that I think will help us to properly anchor our hope in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can learn them from Simeon. The first one is this. Simeon was longing for the Messiah to come. Look what it says in verse 25 again. It says, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Listen, and he was looking for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was looking. This word looking for, other translations say he was eagerly waiting for. Eagerly waiting. Have you ever eagerly waited for something? I don't know if that would describe some, some sort of thing that drums up in your mind, but let's just go ahead and use a holiday example, shall we? 
Many of us have ordered things online during this season, season and they're not always on time anymore. Is that, is that true for you? But it's in our world, you can order something from Amazon and you can track the package through USPS or UPS. Let's say you order something that's really expensive. Not that we've done that in our house anytime recently. Not that my, any of my unnamed children have done that recently that are sitting on the front row. Not that that's happened in our home anytime recently. Not that that's happened. But let's say it did. And you order something and you get the tracking number. And then you can even set it to text updates. And so you're looking at the phone regularly. You're going online to see if it's been updated online, but not on your phone. You're, you're tracking something. You're eagerly awaiting. And then you, you know what? Maybe the post office got it wrong. Maybe UPS or UPS, as we call it in our house. Maybe they just d- delivered it and they didn't update the tracking, right? Maybe that happens. So what do you do? You go to the door every now and again and you open the door just to see if it's there. You've not done that before, but in this season, you might've done that. Let's say it was an expensive item or maybe it was something that you were trying to give away to somebody else and it had to get there before maybe December 25th. Maybe you were a late shopper or maybe you did like what I do is every now and again, I'll do that delayed shipping so I can get a dollar for digital items in the Amazon store. You've never done that, but I do that. But you're eagerly awaiting this thing because you want to use it, because you want to give it away. And so you're waiting for it and you're looking for it. This sort of is what it's like in a very small way as a, as a picture of what Simeon was like. Simeon was looking for, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon was an old man. Simeon was not a child, he was not an adolescent, he was not a youth, he was not a young adult, he was an old man. He'd lived his life. And one thing we see from this passage is that his hope was fixed on the promises that God gave concerning the Messiah coming into our world. He was fixed, he was focused on this, he carried it in his heart. And we know that because it says he was looking for the Messiah to come, to bring comfort to Israel. Every now and again, we think of biblical characters like they haven't gone through much. We sort of sanitize the story. I'm sure you've done this, but we sanitize these biblical stories and we say things like they haven't gone through what I've gone through. They haven't been down the road that I've been down. Friends, yes, they have. Simeon had gone through many ups and downs, but he was convinced that Israel and the world needed divine intervention He was convinced that the world needed hope, but he was more convinced that hope came from the Messiah. So he was longing for the Messiah. Although he saw the sin in his world, the pain, the trauma, the betrayal, the selfishness, the violence, the hatred, the bitterness, his hope was in Christ. It's interesting to me because Mary and Joseph, they bring Jesus to the priest and they have to give a sacrifice. And they give these two pigeons and the priests who are trained in the law, who are the ones that are performing the sacrifice, they see Jesus. This is a dedication moment. They see Jesus, but they don't recognize Jesus as anything special. He is just a baby, a baby that needs to have a sacrifice brought after the days of purification. This is just a ritual. This is just what we do. You bring the child, you bring the sacrifice You do the deed. They could not see in Jesus that he was more than just a baby. But why did Simeon? Because Simeon was looking for the Messiah. 
Simeon was longing for the Messiah. He was carrying this hope in his heart. But there were many in the temple that day, including priests trained in the law. Many, what were they looking for? Were they looking for the Messiah? You know how it works in the New Testament Jews had an understanding that the Messiah was going to come with military and political power. He was going to rise up and you couldn't miss him. You wouldn't miss him. This was their understanding based on the scriptures that prophesy the second coming of Christ. But there was little understanding for Jesus coming as a baby. There was no understanding of that. That was not their theology. Therefore, it was not what they were looking for. They were looking for a king one that they could see from afar off, one that they knew for sure. I know for sure that this is him. But you know what it says about Simeon? By the Holy Spirit, he was led in the temple and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it was through the Holy Spirit that he could see. See, there's something about being postured and positioned to see Jesus. I would tell you this, Yes, we live right here in in this time frame where Jesus has already come as, as a baby in a manger. We have already seen him come. Many, if not most of us, if not all of us, have already received Jesus into our life. We know that he came. We know that he died. We know that he rose again for the forgiveness of our sins, that our relationship with the Father would be rightly connected and we could know him now and have eternal life. Most of us have accepted that. But I'll tell you, we're still living in the tension of his soon and coming return. Simeon was looking for Jesus and he saw him. I would tell you, as we live in the tension of Christ's second coming, we must be looking for him. We must be eagerly awaiting him. If there's anything that has happened this year, it should get us to look up and to see Jesus. He is going to return. And all of the hopes that we have placed in the temporary things, all of those things, they, they will disappoint us. And so now, while the, while the time is here, we can still place our hope entirely on him right here and right now. God's kindness, God's mercy is to continually offer us, us, flawed people. Are you flawed? Look at your neighbor and say, a little bit. That's too much talk. I said a little bit. That doesn't take very long. You guys, every time I'm nervous, every time I say, look at your neighbor and say something, because you might have something to say. They didn't even wait to hear what I told you to say. Go ahead and say to your neighbor, yeah, I've been meaning to do this. Talk to you. He said to, you know, all right. Simeon saw Jesus, the one who his hope was rightly placed. Joy filled his heart. As we look back on the birth of Christ, may we hope for the coming of Christ as well. The second thing I think we can learn from him about hope is Simeon was living in light of the Messiah's coming. He was longing for the Messiah to come, but he was living, the way he was living was in light of his coming. It changes the way you live when you're eagerly awaiting the Lord Jesus. It changes the way that you live. Look what it says here in verse 25. We already read it, but I wanna focus on a couple words It says, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Righteous and devout. Righteous means that he was a person of right standing, full of integrity. He was known for doing the right thing. Others knew him this way. It says that he was devout. Devout means that he was consistent. It means that he was faithful. 
And can I tell you, when you lose your hope or when things don't work out the way you hoped they would or thought they would, it can be very easy to lose your consistency. This means, this term devout means that he was devout in his worship. He was consistent in his worship to God. I think it can happen that when something doesn't turn out the way we thought it should, or we hoped it would, we can lose, we can lose our worship to God, even though he is worthy of it all. Our heart is no longer fixed on him and we begin to drift just a little bit at a time. And as we drift and we're not focused on him, we're not eagerly awaiting him, we're not looking for him. As that happens, our worship gets less and less and less. And we begin to cope Instead of hope, we begin to medicate with other things that temporarily satisfy us, but they do not bring us that peace and that joy that only he can. Life has ups and downs. Life is full of pain and difficulty that none of us plan for. You did not plan for the pain that you have had to go through, did you? And when I was praying earlier before the service, this is what came to my heart. I believe that I would be talking and there would be some who would come or listen online and that you are experiencing a lot of pain in your life, whether it be physical or it be emotional or relational, that I don't know. But in my heart, I knew that somebody hearing me today would have a lot of pain and that pain has become a voice to your life telling you what to do, telling you how to do it, telling you where to go, where not to go. It's like your heart has become incarcerated in your pain. And I wanna tell you something. God wants to give you your hope back. It is not to minimize our pain. It is to heal us in our pain. When Jesus came to this world and he stepped into his ministry in Luke chapter four, it tells us what he did. It says he walked into the synagogue on the Sabbath. Everybody's there and it says he opens up the scroll. And yes, it just happens to be Isaiah 61, of course. Jesus just slides right into these, into these divine messianic moments. They're planned he reads the scroll and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. Are you captive today? Is your heart incarcerated by some type of pain that you didn't plan for? Jesus Christ binds up the brokenhearted and he sets the captives free. What happens to us is we tend to medicate in our pain. I've got plenty of friends, ladies and gentlemen, I have plenty of friends that have started to go down roads that they knew better than to go down. I've got plenty of friends that were pastors at one point that started to medicate their pain with alcohol. Nothing wrong with drinking a glass of wine or a beer, but then it becomes more and it becomes more and you're not drinking it just to drink it, you're drinking it to numb yourself. And they didn't plan to be an alcoholic, but they also didn't plan for that pain to be in their life. And when you start medicating those things, you start to place your hope in the bottle. I've had pastor friends that went through a surgery. Come on, I'm talking to some real folks right now. I know what I'm saying. You say, well, that's never gonna happen to me. I've heard that before. I've heard that before. I've, I've had friends in the ministry even, and they went through a surgery. Maybe it was on their leg or something like that. They went through a surgery and they get, you get that bottle of pills and you start taking those and you need those at some point because it's excruciating pain but then a couple months go by and you don't need those pills no more, but you're still taking them. What happens? 
You start to look forward to something that's satisfying, numbing, and you don't want to be honest about it because you're going to be judged. I've watched this happen. I mean, you're talking to a person where I get confessions. I think it's sacred space when people are honest with me about the struggles that they go through. Nobody starts out wanting these things, but what happens is the people, whether you're a Christian or not, we can be good at coping and not hoping. We need to put our hope on Jesus Christ. Friends, Simeon had ups and downs. Simeon, Simeon had problems, temptations. He had things not go his way. He had all kinds of things happen, just like us. He was, a, he was a man. And I think what was true for him and true for us in Proverbs 13, 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When your heart is sick, you medicate your heart. You numb it. I don't wanna feel the pain. Let me tell you something. God can bring us out of our pain. He binds up the brokenhearted. He sets the captives free. He wants us to open up to him. One of the greatest gifts we can give to Jesus is our heart because he's already gave us his. That's the greatest gift you can give to Jesus is your entire heart. Lord, here's everything that I am. You can have it for your glory and for your purposes. My heart is sick, Lord. It's sick. I'm disappointed. I'm discouraged. I'm disillusioned. I'm angry. I'm upset. These I've heard in confession more than any other year in all the ministry that I've, I've been in ministry half my life. That's not as many as some of you, but it's half of my life. And I've never heard anything like what I've heard this year. And it leads me to believe there is such a hopelessness that exists. And even more, Jesus can come and change everything. <laughs> you say, well, Ben, how do you, how do you know that? I know that I know. This smile's not fake. I had to walk through pain. I had to walk through difficulty this year. The summer was hard. Summer was really hard. The summer was like getting punched in the face and it just not stopping. But September was great. And I just turned the corner and the Lord put that hope in my heart. My hope was placed in an outcome and it wasn't placed on him. When we put our hope in an outcome, we will get disappointed. Simeon placed his hope in him. He was longing for him. And finally, last but not least, Simeon was led to declare that the Messiah had come. Look what it says here in verse 28. He took him into his arms. I was gonna even try to get a baby, you know, because I wanted to show you, but I did, it's unpredictable what a child will do when you bring a child up in front of people. And my older kids wouldn't do it. So I just, you know, they just, they're too old for that, dad. He took an eight-pound baby into his arms. I just want you to think about that. He's holding an eight-pound baby, and he, and he says this. It says, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. According to your word, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glo the glory of your people Israel. What Simeon was looking for, what he was longing for had finally come and he was now holding what he had been waiting for all the years of his life, right there, eight pounds in front of his face. He saw what he needed to see. That hope that he had was satisfied by God himself. God satisfied that longing. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. This is a declaration. 
I have seen the Messiah. Friends, let me tell you what Simeon said. The Messiah has come. The Savior of the world has come. He has arrived on planet Earth so that you and I can have hope. He is the Savior of all who believe, first for Israel and the whole world. And Simeon starts his declaration with this comment. He says, now, Lord, let your servant depart in peace. That's another way of saying I can die now. This is all that I wanted in my life. This is everything that I longed for, all that I had ever hoped for. I've seen him. And now, Lord, at what, whatever point you want to take me, let it, let it happen. My life at this point, he's saying, my life, I don't need anything else to ha- happen anymore. This is all that life is about Isn't that powerful? Friends, this happened. This man, all of his life, longing for this moment, and this moment he finds himself. I declare to you, the Messiah, the Savior of the world has come. Jesus was given to us so that we could have a living hope. Friends, you can have a living hope. For those of you that have already given your life to Christ, let me remind you, you have a living hope. Jesus is going to return. Your hope is not misplaced when you put it in him, the savior of the whole world. He is surely coming. And we celebrate the birth of Christ today, a light that entered the world to dispel all of the darkness. Even though we see darkness externally, Christ comes into our heart when we welcome welcome him and invite him in. When we turn our lives over to him, That light, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. He gives us a brand new heart and he begins to dispel all the darkness from within. And this is why we can have hope. This is why we can have joy. This is why we can have peace because the one who is hope, who is joy and who is peace is the giver of such things and he's not trying to take it back. And so external things cannot take what God has given to us. Only the giver can take from us what he's given to us and he's not trying to take it back. He's wanting to overwhelm us with this. This is, this is not some inauthentic pitch. This is not some person living in false reality, telling you, selling you some wolf ticket. This is the reality of our world that Jesus Christ is the hope that we are longing for. He came because we needed intervention. Jesus lived a sinless life to show us the way of life. He was the perfect sacrifice. Why did he have to die? He had to die because every person in this room watching online, every one of us is going to die. That's morbid and it's hard to talk about, but that's reality. Every person is gonna die. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Death is the curse that human beings are under because of sin. The gift of God through Jesus Christ is eternal life. He is life. When we give our lives to Jesus, he gives us life. When we die, we go to be with him because we have eternal life. The reason that everyone marveled and was so excited that this child came into the world is because now we can have what we were created for. Only God could give it back to us because we walked away from him. When I was 19, I didn't believe in Jesus up until I was 19 years old. I sat in many church services just like this, certainly at Christmas and Easter, certainly at any other time. I didn't like what I'm doing right now. 
I'd look at me, I'd be up, I'd be up somewhere probably at the, there's nobody in the last row, so I'll pick on the nobodies in the last row, okay? I would be up in the last row and everybody would be worshiping and I'd be sitting there just like this. You could see it on my face. This is what I look like. I remember being a 16-year-old boy just like this, just like, I just wanted Christians to know I was angry. I just wanted you to know I didn't like you, hypocrite. Little did I know I'd become the one saying the stuff that I was mad at the person for saying. And I'd look at the person saying what I'm saying today and I thought he doesn't mean what he's saying. That guy's just a hypocrite. He's just nurtured in that environment. He was just raised to believe that he's just an automaton, a robot. He's just repeating what somebody else told him. And then 19 years old, I met Jesus myself in my own bedroom, in my own home, not in a church like this, not in the Christmas season, but in the worst place of my life at that time. I had no hope. I had no peace. And I finally stopped lying to myself and acting like things were okay because the coping was not a good replacement for the hope that I needed. And at some point I realized it. I realized it when I was at that age. And I'm sitting on my bedroom floor and I I basically just pray. I, I didn't think of it as a prayer. And even today, it was just this pitily statement. I said, God, if you're real, I need you to show me. Otherwise, I, I just can't believe. I profess my unbelief. I don't believe this story. It's not real to me. There was nothing in my heart. Friends, listen, nothing in my heart that said this thing is real. The baby in the manger, the Christmas story, whoever Simeon was, come on. The cross, the resurrection. I knew the story. I just couldn't believe it. Nothing in my heart said it was true. And on my bedroom floor, I said to God out loud with my own words, if you're real, I need you to show up. And God did show up for me. I heard the voice of God. People that say things like that end up looking crazy. The delusional. What do you mean you heard the voice of God? I heard a voice in my head and in my heart say, I love you and I always have. I heard that, 19 years old, sitting on my floor. Nobody can take that from me. And when I heard that, in my mind, all of these memories, kind of like if you have an iPhone and you scroll through pictures, right? You don't do that, do you? You just scroll through those pictures, especially the ones you don't like, quickly, quickly, quickly. It was like, in my mind, all these bad memories, these things, these horrible things that I had done, things that had been done to me, it was like those memories were going by in my mind. And I heard the voice of God speak over all of those memories. And he said to me, I love you and I always have. And I'm thinking about these horrible things in my life, places that I had been, things that I had done. And God said to me, I love you and I always have. I heard him speak. I felt his presence and I didn't even know that that was a thing. Jesus showed up in my life. I'm 41 now, and it's, it's been a lot of years, at least more than half of my life, that I've served Jesus, I've loved Jesus, I've walked with Jesus, and I've prayed probably for over 1,000 people to do the same thing that I did when I was 19 years old, to believe the story that we're talking about. It's not a story. It's an account. It's truth. It's real. Jesus is real. And so in all of our tradition and all of the things that we celebrate and seeing family and watching Christmas movies, you know, and all that, it's fun, it's great. And maybe it's a sense of normal that we need in this season. But friends, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And if you're here today and you're watching online and you have not given your heart to Jesus and you're wondering where to find your hope, 
or you're putting it in another thing. Maybe you're putting your hope in a job, an education. You're putting your hope in a family. You're putting your hope in this and that. We can hope for an outcome. There's nothing wrong with that. But to hope in an outcome other than Christ, we will be disappointed. You will be disappointed. And so I appeal to you, those of you that have not given their heart to Jesus, if you have not given your life to Jesus, I want to pray for you. And I want to give you a moment just before God and in his presence in this building in 2021, the 2020, I'm already prophetically in 2021, but in the craziest year, this is the best time to absolutely surrender our whole life to him, that he would give us a brand new heart. The greatest gift that you can give to Jesus is your whole life. That's the gift that he desires because he, de- he gave his whole life for us. You can't pay him back, but you can walk with him. You can walk with him. And so please bow your heads and let's just have a word of prayer. I'm just gonna appeal to those of you in the room as we close our message and close our time together. If you've not given your life to Jesus and you're saying today, I would like to give my heart to Jesus. Ben, I don't know if I came in here thinking that. I don't know if I'm all ready for that, but I hear what you're saying and I need hope. I need joy. I need peace. And you're telling me it's found in Jesus. And friends, I'm telling you the truth. It is. It's found temporarily. It's found eternally. It's found thoroughly in Jesus. If you haven't made that decision, but you want to make that decision today, you can just place your hand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to raise your hand to acknowledge today, I believe that's me. I'm to give my life to Jesus Christ. I just want you to acknowledge that. I'll give you a moment. Ben, I want to give my life to Jesus. Will you pray for me? Just go ahead and slip your hand up. And if you're online, because we're living in that world, I would ask you to just type in there. I'm raising my hand. Type in there, salvation. Type something in. There are people there that, that see you. There are people there that can respond to you. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your grace that we see in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We honor your presence here You're the pastor of this church. This is your house. This is your birthday. And we honor you, Lord. We give you our lives. We fully surrender to you freshly right here and right now. We thank you, Lord, that you came and you came for us. We thank you for your word that encourages our hearts to place our hope entirely in you. And so we choose to do that freshly again right here and now. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.